This episode includes depictions of graphic violence and addresses themes of suicide, domestic violence, and homophobia. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. And please note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of Robert Louis Stevenson's The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, or its many adaptations. Today's episode combines features from a number of Victorian period elements for dramatic effect. Hello everyone, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and welcome to Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. This week, we leave behind the mysterious Egyptian creatures who menaced their Victorian colonizers for a homegrown monster that's just as threatening, the famous literary villain, Mr. Hyde. The term Jekyll and Hyde has entered the modern lexicon as a euphemism for a malevolence lurking in even the most respectable men. Because the most horrific thing about the vicious Mr. Hyde is not that he's a danger to you, it's that he is you. This is Mythical Monsters, Victorian Monsters. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Coming up, we meet the monster behind a mild-mannered doctor. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Robert Louis Stevenson's 1886 novella, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, was inspired by a nightmare. Upon waking, Stevenson hurtled through a first draft in just three days. Legend has it that when he gave it to his wife for feedback, she told him to start over. To her, it read like a penny dreadful, when it had the potential to be high art. He followed her advice and rewrote, but the final draft still reads like an elevated penny dreadful. Wildly popular and quickly consumed, penny dreadfuls were a sensationalized mix of urban fantasy, lurid thriller, and ripped from the headlines procedural. They were more about the villain than the victim, spawning famous legends like Spring-Heeled Jack or the murderous barber Sweeney Todd. And, of course, the lurid Mr. Hyde. At first, Mr. Hyde appears to be just an average, short, hairy man, if a little unnerving. But he's the very essence of cruelty, evil, and selfishness. He throttles children in the street and leers at young women. And he draws this homicidal power from the pitiful man he shares a body with, Henry Jekyll. Jekyll is unlike Hyde in almost every way, a mild-mannered doctor with a promising career. And in some versions of the tale, he also has a fiancé. A fiancé who has no idea there's a sinister fiend lurking within her betrothed. 
Agnes Carew's fiancé was breaking up with her. It was true that he'd withdrawn lately, but still, she was not expecting it. And she refused to accept it, despite Dr. Henry Jekyll's insistence. I love you, Agnes, I do, but we cannot be together. Your father is well-regarded in every circle. I'm sure you will find a wonderful husband. Agnes took his hands. What have I done to offend you? Is it your colleagues? Surely men of science can understand your fiancé having a little bit of independence. Henry shook his head. You know I don't care about them, but I've recently become associated with a man that would cast a bad light on you. Agnes smiled, unbothered. Then we shall be scandalous together. Henry fumbled with his cane. The gesture made Agnes wince. He only did that when he was anxious. It was a family heirloom, a sculpted interpretation of the Caduceus staff with two serpents intertwined. Henry was the fifth Dr. Henry Jekyll in a long line of Dr. Jekylls. Though his parents were dead, Agnes knew his surname had always been a shadow over him, a standard he had to live up to. But no one was harder on Henry than he was on himself. I am not a good man, Agnes. Agnes placed her hand over his on the cane's intricate silver top. And I am not always a good woman, Henry, but we muddle through. We make each other our best selves. That is part of marriage. Surely you understand that. He looked at her with such torment, she couldn't help but pull him into her arms. It was strange. For a moment, she felt his grip tighten on her. His hands seemed larger, stronger. His body hunched around hers, and a voice whispered in her ear. It was not Henry's, and yet his chest shook as it spoke. You've convinced me. I will keep you close. The sensation was gone as quick as it came. When Agnes pulled away, Henry's kind eyes stared back at her. Perhaps she had only imagined the change. He smiled at her fondly. Thank you, darling. My heart is much lighter. Agnes clapped her hands a little too forcefully, eager to move forward. Excellent. Now, when are you picking me up for the theater? Her heart sank as he looked down at his cane again. I cannot attend the performance at the Lyceum tonight, but I'm sure Utterson would be interested. Will you have him? Agnes wrinkled her nose. Darling, he's so boring. Henry's hand tightened around hers. Agnes, there's been truly horrific attacks in some of the areas you and your friends frequent. I know I can't ask you to stay out of Whitechapel and Soho, as I respect your charity work. But please, just this once, accept a chaperone. For me. Agnes was irritated. She wasn't scared of night stalkers or the like, but there was merit in what he was saying. Going out unaccompanied was enough to ruin a woman's reputation, and she did want to see the play. Very well, but I'll see you at the tea room with Father on Sunday? Her Henry kissed her hand, and her worries melted away. The theater was lovely, despite some somber weather and Mr. Utterson's equally dour company. 
he cast strange glances at her the entire evening, like he had something important to say. She couldn't imagine what he needed to talk about, but she hoped he'd keep it to himself. She didn't want him droning on and ruining the evening more than it already was. Agnes's luck ran out on the carriage ride home. As soon as the horses took off, Utterson raised his voice. I'm afraid I must speak to you and your father, Miss Carew. A grave injustice is about to be committed against you. Agnes tensed. If it's against me, you needn't involve my father. Out with it. Utterson looked annoyed, but he relented. A few days ago, Henry asked me to draw up a new will, one that cut you out and left his whole estate to an Edward Hyde. I inquired as to the nature of their relationship. Henry refused to answer. Agnes almost laughed. So Utterson was worried that Henry had a male dalliance. In spite of public opinion, she did not care if his romantic interests extended beyond her gender. And it wasn't like she needed the money. Her father was in Parliament. No, she loved Henry and would let him do what he needed to do as long as he loved her back. And she would protect him, even from those he considered friends. Well, did you do as he asked? Utterson was confused. I did, yes. I only thought you'd like to know. Agnes told the driver to stop and glared at Utterson. All I know is that my fiancé's attorney has betrayed his confidence. His affair with Hyde is his private business. Get out, Mr. Utterson. He was scandalized. Miss Carew, this is highly irregular. Agnes opened the door. It was pouring. Out, and I'm sure you'll keep this between us, or my father will be paying you a visit. Utterson mumbled an apology and slid into the rain. The carriage rolled forward, and soon the rumble of the wheels soothed Agnes's frayed nerves. She was mulling over how to tell Henry about Utterson's betrayal when the carriage lurched to a stop. She was home. Agnes thanked the driver and got out, relieved to see the rain had abated to a drizzle. It was never fun to run to one's door in a downpour. The carriage lurched away, leaving her alone in the misty quiet. She headed through the front garden, counting the puddles, but she stopped when one caught her eye. It was darker than the others. Agnes stepped forward and saw the edge of the puddle had stained the bottom of her petticoat red. Agnes gasped. Was that blood? She needed to fetch a lantern, but when she hastened towards her front door, another foul sight greeted her. A man lay on her front steps in the darkness. She couldn't see him clearly, but could tell his limbs were splayed at odd angles. And someone, something, was laughing. It was a heavy laugh, colder than the rain. The hairs on the back of Agnes's neck rose. In the shadows near the gate, a pair of yellow eyes were looking at her. No, not looking, devouring. The smell of rot hung in the air. The man, the creature, purred an answer to her unvoiced question. I'll see you soon, dearest. Then he sank into the dark. 
she could see his odd, hunched shadow loping up the quiet street. Agnes struggled to quiet her pounding heart before she remembered the man. She rushed over. The first thing she saw was the mess of blood, brains, and viscera around him. But then she recognized his jacket's brocaded fabric. A strangled cry left her throat. This mess was her father. His face had been smashed in and his cheeks were broken and flat. Large bruises made an uneven pattern on his neck and hands. The rain widened the puddle of gore around him, and a small object sat at its very edge. It was the upper half of a gentleman's cane. It had a silver top engraved with entwined snakes, a caduceus staff. Coming up, Agnes enters the lair of Mr. Hyde. The most urgent mysteries in the world are missing persons cases. The stakes are too high not to pursue every plausible possibility, and some implausible ones too. I'm Sarah Turney, host of the new podcast, Disappearances. In 2020, after spending years searching for the truth, I used social media to help bring justice to my sister Alyssa's nearly two decades long disappearance. Now, every Thursday on Spotify, I'm exploring the many reasons people disappear and the impact their absences can have on those left behind. From child abductions and mystifying murders to those who took drastic measures to start over, each episode of Disappearances journeys through a different high-profile missing persons case, ripped from the headlines and ripe for explanation. Because no one just vanishes into thin air. The answers are out there, waiting to be found. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast Disappearances. Hear a new episode every Thursday, free and only on Spotify. Now back to the story. Agnes wanted to cover her father's corpse. He would hate for anyone to see him this way, wrecked and broken. Sir Carew was a member of parliament and he deserved dignity. But the constables had arrived and they wouldn't let her near his body. She pushed against their grip, screaming at passersby to look away. Agnes cried and struggled until she heard Mr. Utterson's soft voice in her ear. Let's step away from this. Agnes turned on him. What are you doing here? Utterson put his hands up in surrender. I mean no offense, Miss Carew. I admit my manner in the carriage was inappropriate, but I am worried for Henry, and you should be too. Agnes glared at him. I certainly am. His cane is here. That yellow-eyed fiend must have abducted him as well. Henry probably came over to speak to my father and, and caught the attacker in the act. I saw him in the shadows. My father's murderer. He was so strange, all hunched over and tightly coiled. Utterson was rattled. The attacker you describe sounds like Hyde, Agnes, Henry's beneficiary. Agnes shook her head. Henry wouldn't associate with such a monster. But Utterson remained convinced 
It's Hyde, and he's dangerous. He attacked a girl in the street in front of several witnesses and tried to cover it up with hush money. I also have reason to believe he is connected to the slayings in Soho. Agnes's mind was reeling. Why do you think that? Utterson looked genuinely apologetic. I would have explained in the carriage if you hadn't... <clears throat> Never mind. Hyde has a flat in Soho, which is paid for by your fiancé. Agnes straightened up. If he has Henry, that's where he'd be keeping him. You will take me to Hyde. Utterson protested. Miss Carew, this is a matter for the police. Agnes turned on him. You've impugned Henry's honor based on the company he keeps instead of helping him escape such a man. Now my father is dead. You can refuse me, but know this, I will stalk the streets of London until I find Mr. Hyde. With that, there was nothing Mr. Utterson could do but agree. Agnes armed herself with a fire poker from her hearth and caught a coach to Soho with Utterson. They rode from the fashionable district to a section of squalid shops. The carriage pulled to a stop by an unmarked door between two storefronts. Agnes was out before Mr. Utterson could even reach for the handle. She approached the door, fire poker in hand. It had certainly seen better days. Wood rotted along its edges. Children had carved their names into the frame, and a sour smell lingered about, like a dead animal decomposing. It was the same rancid odor she'd smelt on her father's attacker. Agnes knocked on the door. No answer. She called out, but was met with silence. Running out of patience, she threw her shoulder against the old wood. It gave way. Agnes and Utterson climbed to a dank hallway on the second floor. Agnes was sure she heard a rat squeak. And then, music. A gramophone had turned on. She whispered to Utterson, someone's here. Agnes tiptoed into the front room, poker held high. But for all her readiness, she was startled by what she saw. A small window feebly illuminated a dim but pristine room. Soft silks lined the walls, plush velvet furniture was arranged artfully, and several pieces of art hung on the walls. She moved to an ornately carved writing desk in the room's center. Several powders and bottles sat on its surface. Agnes's heart nearly stopped. Henry's handwriting was on their labels. Was Hyde one of Henry's patients? It didn't seem likely, but perhaps he'd tried to help keep Hyde's malevolence at bay with his tinctures. She knew Henry had been working on something to manage hysteria. And yet many of the bottles were empty, which meant Hyde had drunk them. So either they weren't working, or they were for something else. The gramophone's romantic tune skipped, then stopped. Mr. Utterson broke the silence. You've had a look. Let's go back before trouble finds us. A dark laugh came from behind them. I already have. Agnes spun around. She recognized the yellow eyes leering at her from the room's shadows. Mr. Hyde edged forward, keeping half his face in darkness. 
From what Agnes could see, he looked like every other man. He had all the features one would expect, yet something about the way they were arranged on his face was wrong. Agnes squinted into the darkness behind him. Did he have two shadows? He did. One followed his movements, the other remained fixated on her. Hyde laughed that horrible laugh as he eyed her fire poker. <laughs> uh, I've done worse with less, madam. Agnes moved defensively towards him, but a waft of that sour smell nearly knocked her over. It seemed to come directly from Hyde's skin. She coughed. <coughs> Where is Henry? Hyde laughed. With me, my dear, would you like to join us, or would you prefer to join your father? She swung at him, but he dodged easily and pushed her into a wall. Her head smacked against its peeling paint, and she felt the poker fly from her hand. Utterson shouted, and Hyde loped over to him, wrapping a large, hairy hand around his throat. Agnes's heart pounded. She needed to do something. Her eyes lit on the writing desk and its many bottles. Whatever they were for, she was sure Hyde depended on them. Agnes grabbed the fire poker and staggered over to it. She raised her weapon and bellowed, Hyde, tell me where Henry is or I'll break them all. Tell me. She expected panic, but Mr. Hyde wasn't upset. He was smiling and it made her furious. She swung the poker and smashed the glass off the desk. The bottles cascaded to the ground, shattering into a brown, bubbling mess. Hyde dissolved into a fit of giggles. <laughs> you don't know what you've done. You were so worried about your precious doctor's life. <laughs> but it's as though you stabbed him yourself. <laughs> Agnes didn't understand. What have you done with him, you monster? Hyde would not stop laughing. Oh, he's at home, indisposed, shall we say. <laughs> Horror made her knees weak. Was Hyde insinuating that Henry was dead? Hyde suddenly dropped Utterson to lunge at her, his yellow eyes frenzied. The smell of rot flooded her nostrils. She instinctively thrust the fire poker down as hard as she could, right through Hyde's shoe. The jagged metal punctured leather and stuck. He screamed. Agnes didn't waste her chance. She grabbed Mr. Utterson's hand and dragged him from the room. Back in the carriage, Agnes urgently ordered the driver to take them to Henry's house. As they pulled away, she stuck her head out the window to see if Hyde had followed, but the shabby, unmarked door remained shut. She was relieved, until she looked up. Mr. Hyde watched them from the second floor window with a cruelly twisted smile. Agnes whimpered in fear. That look had a clear message. Mr. Hyde knew something. She didn't. Coming up, Agnes and Hyde fight for Henry's soul. Now back to the story. 
Agnes wrung her hands as she sat in the carriage beside Utterson. She was shaking from the encounter with that awful villain, Mr. Hyde. But more terrifying still, she was certain her fiancé, Henry, was hurt, or worse. She didn't know how or why Henry began his association with this beast, but it was clear Hyde had been manipulating Henry for months. Henry's withdrawals, his attempts to end their engagement, that could be why Hyde killed her father. Perhaps he'd wanted Sir Carew to break the engagement after Henry failed to. Whatever Hyde's motives, Agnes was desperate to get to Henry's. She had to find out if he was safe. As soon as they arrived, Agnes was out of the carriage and banging on Henry's door. His servant, Poole, answered, He's not home, miss. Agnes pushed past him anyway, calling Henry's name. Utterson yelled at her back that he was going to get the police, but she barely heard. Henry wasn't on the first floor, and there was no answer when she called upstairs, so she made her way to his study. It also served as his laboratory when he wasn't teaching at the medical college or consulting at Bedlam. It was empty. Yet it looked as if he'd just left. Chemicals still bubbled over Bunsen burners. The front door slammed. Agnes ran towards the hallway and straight into a dark figure. She cried out, but then she heard, Agnes? It was Henry. He looked delirious, like he'd just woken from a dream. Tears of relief filled her eyes. Oh, darling, you're all right. You're all right. Henry clutched at her. Forgive me. Agnes embraced him back. He seemed entirely intact, only tired. There is no need to forgive, Henry. None of this is your fault. We have to go to the police. You must tell them what Hyde has done. Tears fell down his reddening face. You don't understand. She cradled his cheek in her hand. But I do. I love all of you, dearest. Do you see? I have no problem with your loving men. It is only this man, love, who hurts you and others. Henry suddenly let out an anguished cry. He clutched the edge of his desk, shaking. No, it can't happen yet. Agnes, run. Get Utterson, the police, anyone. Agnes stepped back in alarm. Henry, what is happening? He convulsed again, nearly falling to the floor. Agnes, you must run. Run! <laughs> Henry Jekyll bellowed like an animal. He shook his head so hard his features seemed unable to keep up. They slid about his face as if floating on the muddy, stinking Thames. Agnes tried to hold him, but he pushed her away. Agnes, please run! Agnes stood firm. No, let me help you. <laughs> that familiar, horrible laugh filled the room. Agnes shrank away as Henry gripped the table. His hands expanded, the hair on them growing dark and thick. A nauseating creak issued from his body as his spine shrank and his shoulders broadened. Henry's beautiful, kind eyes went yellow. Yes, please, dearest, help him. It was Hyde. In the full light, she could finally see it. 
Hyde's face was Henry's face, and yet not at all. The nose was thinner, his hair wild and tousled, the eyes a sickly yellow. We meet again, my darling. Agnes gagged as bile rose in her throat. It was so obvious. How had she missed it? Her voice was small. The police are on their way. Hyde ran a finger over the flame of a Bunsen burner. If that's the case, why not one more kill, eh? Suddenly, he threw his whole weight to the side, tumbling to the ground as Henry's voice ripped through Hyde's throat. Agnes, run! This time, she listened. She bolted for the door, but Hyde slammed it in front of her. Oh, no. You're going to help us. Isn't that right, Henry? <laughs> Hyde snarled as Henry fought his way back through. No one can help us. Agnes, you must kill me. Agnes gasped. I most certainly will not. Those yellow eyes softened, just enough for Agnes to see a glimpse of her Henry. I used a serum to make him, to divide my lesser self from my better one. But the transformations happen at random now. The serum only worked when it was drawn from a tainted batch of ingredients, impossible to replicate. Agnes's eyes filled with tears. The bottles that I smashed, I destroyed your ability to keep him at bay. Hyde's body twitched violently, but Henry hung on. It only quickened what was inevitable, but yes, I will be Hyde forever unless you kill me. Agnes pleaded, we'll get you help. There's, I know a professor, Professor Trelawney. He knows a great deal about these things. Hyde laughed. <laughs> well, that's a relief. He jerked his head to the side. Why are you laughing? The police are on their way. Shall we go to Newgate together, you and me? You'll find no fun there. Hyde's lip curled. I'll kill her, Henry. I'll kill her and disappear. Carriage horses thundered down the street outside. Henry laughed inside Hyde. Disappear to where? You can hear them coming, and if you manage to get away, I'll fight you. Hyde snickered. <laughs> Very threatening. You sure you're the good one? Hyde's gaze locked on Agnes, but somehow she knew in that moment it was Henry and not Hyde. His eyes darted down to the desk where the clear, viscous liquid was bubbling away. The eyes were Henry, but the snide voice that rambled on was all Hyde. But you were never good, were you? That was the problem. The things I could tell you, Agnes, you'd think twice about loving him. Agnes shook her head. No, I wouldn't. Hyde smirked. And why's that? What does he have that I haven't got? A smile broke through Agnes's tears. He keeps me safe. With one great lunge, Henry forced Hyde's hand to grab the bottle and down it in one gulp. Hyde's lewd smile slid from his face. 
He coughed and spasmed, a cruel parody of her lost love. He fell to the ground, clawing at his throat. Agnes stared at him as he died. She didn't know why. Perhaps she hoped for one last glimpse of Henry, one sign that he knew he was the better self all along. But she didn't get it. Hyde gave one last rattling gulp, and then his eerie eyes went still. The strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde sits at the intersection of moral allegory and penny dreadful. In Stevenson's telling, Jekyll accidentally creates Hyde when he seeks to divide two parts of him that already exist. A man filled with shame and a loathsome creature that man is ashamed of. So perhaps Hyde is not so much a creation as an excavation of evil that had been there all along. This particular Penny Dreadful became a little too real in 1888. The stage adaptation of Jekyll and Hyde came to London in August, right before the mutilated bodies of Marianne Nichols and Annie Chapman were found. The fictional horrors of Hyde were then connected to the elusive Jack the Ripper by the public and the press. Some journalists speculated that Jack the Ripper was likely a case of Jekyll and Hyde, since he was able to sneak away from the crime scene without arousing any suspicion. This, of course, stirred conversations about whether works like Jekyll and Hyde inspired the kind of violence they depicted. To some, it was as if the words themselves were the real-world equivalent of Dr. Jekyll's mysterious serum. The British populace seemed to think a Mr. Hyde lurked in the mind of every man, or perhaps the mind of every penny-dreadful reader. What began as a tale of repressed, dark urges became a story of evil hiding in plain sight. Perhaps both are correct, because each person's darkness is wholly personal. And once you take that first sip, you never know where you'll end up or who you'll be. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with another Victorian monster. If you'd like to hear more from Robert Louis Stevenson, consider checking out my ParCast colleague Alastair's podcast, Haunted Places, Ghost Stories. His episode on Stevenson's short story, The Body Snatcher, is to die for. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jen Rache, with writing assistance by Kate Murdoch and Nora Battelle, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. I'm Sarah Turney, host of the new Spotify original from ParCast, Disappearances. 
Every Thursday, join me for an exploration into history's most gripping missing persons cases. Following timelines, analyzing clues, and piecing together as many answers as possible to find the truth. From prison breaks and child abductions to second chances and even murder. We'll journey through the many reasons people disappear. Follow my new podcast, Disappearances, free and only on Spotify.